Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about male friendships, a.k.a. dudeships. Mm-hmm. AKA, or bromance. A.k.a. bromance. Because last time on the podcast, we talked about female friendships, a.k.a. unfortunately, frenemies. Mm-hmm. Hackneyed term that it is. Right. And we decided to look at male friendships today because there is a lot of scholarship on male friendships because it seems like in the eyes of academics, bromances are these just... Very special little gems. Yeah, like uh, uh, every everything I read across the board was, aww, oh. aww, men being friends with each other. Look, look everyone, friendship among men. They're breaking out of masculinity constructs and bonding. Can you believe it? Their self-schema is allowing them to interact with one another on a very personal level. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we mentioned in the last episode, history has certainly romanticized male friendships. And I got to say from personal experience, there is something uh, very particular about about the bromance. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of uh, of guy best friend pairs in my life and and one of them it's these two guys um they're some of my closest friends they grew up on the same street together they have lived together now for years um and riding around in the car with them when they're in the front seat and I'm just sort of a bystander <laughs> is incredible because their conversation doesn't stop but it only involves things like like you know uh, explosives and <laughs> you know if they what kind of a lot of discussions on ideal superpowers uh-huh um you know random sports minutia mm-hmm. and it's stuff like that that has made a lot of people say well male friendships aren't as deep or as genuine as female mm-hmm. friendships. There's a lot of stuff written out there about how, well, you, you just stop judging us by your feminine standards. Right. We're not the same as you. And so, yeah, there's there's been um, there's been sort of a looking down upon uh, of male friendship mm-hmm. because, well, they're just talking about superpowers. How, how close can they possibly be? Yeah, but I mean, I'll be honest with you, too. It will diverge eventually into gossip. <laughs> Men, you know what I'm talking about. You gossip, too. She just waggled her finger. I did. (laughs) So let's talk about maybe a history of male friendships because they were seen as more noble than marital love because women are just flawed Jezebels. (laughs) Exactly. It's what I've been saying forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Women were seen as the inferior sex. Mm -hmm. And so... There was something very um, wonderful and warm and tingly about male friendships because they didn't have another outlet. It's not like men and women back then were hanging out yeah. on the weekends or whatever. No, it was it was just men hanging out with other men, and so they had to kind of get this affection somewhere. And so there there was this glowing 
this glowing view of friendship back then. There's one historical example that piqued my interest, which was Abraham Lincoln and his very dear friend, Joshua Speed. Mm -hmm. And for four years, they shared a bed and they wrote letters back and forth constantly, even after they parted ways geographically. And there was a speculation that because of the intimacy of that friendship, it must have meant that Abraham Lincoln was gay. Because by our 21st century standards of uh, of masculinity and such, the idea of two men sharing a bed for four years, there had to be some hanky-panky. But, in fact, in the 19th century, it was not uncommon for frontiersmen to sleep two or even three to a bed just for economical reasons. And those kind and sometimes of, it was cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the kind of homophobic physical barriers um, were not in place at that time. Right. And they really didn't come about until really the turn of the 20th century when psychologists started examining homosexuality. And all of a sudden, all these men were looking at each other like, oh, uh, oh, uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, what? I, I'm going to go over here with these women. Look at me and these women. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's the same kind of thing that I just mentioned in the 19th century where there were definitely very rigid social constructs. You know, men came according in the parlor mm-hmm. and sat. Everybody was supervised and everything. There really wasn't much opportunity for men and women to socialize together. And so these male friendships became just very close. And they, especially in the 19th century America, were marked by an intense bond and filled with deeply held feeling and sentimentality. Which sounds a lot like a mirroring of female friendship. Now, yeah. Um, and we found an article on a history of male friendships over at theartofmanliness.com, and they call out a book called Picturing Men, A Century of Male Relationships in Everyday American Photography by John Ibsen. And even though I read that title quickly, if you do <laughs> uh, Google image it, 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 these these images of, of these men holding hands and hugging and just being very physically affectionate. Stand sitting in, on laps. Yeah, sitting on laps, stand in such stark contrast to that kind of masculine personal space. The side hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the fist bump. Yeah. Yeah, and this was uh, the writers over at Art of Manliness said that this is, it depicts a manliness quite foreign to us now, which is exactly right. I mean, I looked at these pictures and I thought, I don't know anyone who would pose like that. But it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't like these pictures were staged. and I mean, they were staged. But, you know, it's not like, okay, let's make a really hysterical picture now. It was just normal. Hey, we're buddies. We're going to yeah. hold hands, lock arms, and take this photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, Caroline, things started to change in the 20th century, not only with that psychological attention to homosexuality and the rising um, self-consciousness because of it, but also because of the Industrial Revolution and social Darwinism that arguably changed how men looked at one another. It shifted things from being peers to being competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're competing for... You know, if you're, everybody's moving into the cities during the Industrial Revolution, so you're not only competing for jobs, but you're competing for a space to live and for resources and for ladies, presumably. I don't know. Wives. Who knows? But anyway, so <laughs> moving on, you know, we start to get this increased mobility. You know, people are moving to cities and they're not putting down roots. So maybe they're not developing friendships that are as strong. Mm-hmm. They don't have people they've known since childhood on the farm. Um, and then we've got the rise of leisure activities. And this, uh, the, the writers at Art of Manliness 
argue, uh, leads to gendered friendships. Because with the rise of leisure activities, you have more sports and outdoor activities, and that sort of becomes the framework for male friendships. Because they're out there playing sports. They're playing football or soccer or golf or whatever. And that's sort of what they end up forming their friendships on. Not not so much the deep emotional bonds that were so familiar in the 19th century. Right. Um Male friendships are often categorized as activity friends. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the people who you meet up with to go play golf or meet up with for a drink, as opposed to girlfriends who might tend to just kind of sit around a little bit more together. Exactly. And that's that, uh, the side to side versus face to face term is something that was coined. Uh, in 1982 by Paul Wright. And that comes up again and again on uh, in studies on friendship, that, that men are side-to-side friends. Mm-hmm. They're going out in the world. They're doing things together, whether it's playing sports or, you know, whatever, whereas women are more face-to-face friends because we tend to get together and, and talk, you know, have drinks with each other and go over our lives and whatever. So Record podcasts. Record podcasts face-to-face. Or face-to-face right Look at now. us. How perfect example. Oh, man. <laughs> but just because there might be a side-by-side versus face-to-face does not diminish the the quality of male friendships as more recent scholarship has known. As much as we might want to just write off bromances as a product of Judd Apatow's comedic genius, uh-huh. there is a lot of of value in them, mm-hmm. even though I cannot personally say that I've ever been first person involved in a bromance. Hey, would, yeah, that's okay. Sounds awesome, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeffrey Grief, uh, a professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work, has done a lot of research on male friendships, and he has a blog over at Psychology Today where he, he touches on questions and writes little entries about male friendship. And he said that although men might not be physically or emotionally expressive, they still derive great support from their friendships. And in an interview with the Washington Examiner, he said he wanted to find out through through a book he wrote where he interviewed uh, several hundred men about their friendships. He wanted to find out how much of society is driven by competitions between men, men being afraid to be vulnerable, and men's inability to connect. He goes back to childhood and says, We have to allow boys to be close without trying to outdo each other or best the other in all endeavors. Historically, we raise our boys to act like men so that being vulnerable and physically close are sometimes discouraged by parents. Mm -hmm. So he's going all the way back to childhood, how how even parents can affect how men end up interacting with each other. Absolutely. Um, And the book that he wrote is called Buddy System, Understanding Male Friendships. And he breaks male friendships down into four... Uh, rhyming categories. Rhyming. It always helps. Yes. I remember. Four rhyming categories. Must, trust, rust, and just. <laughs> and right, must, it, it, he breaks it down. It's, it's interesting how he breaks it down. Must, they're your must friends, like your best friends. They know everything about you. You're very close with them. Your trust friends, that's maybe not someone you have to have in your life, but that you would, you would trust them with your private thoughts. You might confide in them. The rust friends are the people that maybe your wife is like, why do you still hang out with that person? Um, but you've known them since childhood, so you keep them around. Like the, the Jason Siegel character in I Love You, Man. Sure, exactly. It's a little bit of a wild card. <laughs> and then there's just, which I think uh, it's it's definitely not as close as the others, even the rust friends. The just friends are just that. They're, they're acquaintances. They're not maybe people you ever confide your private thoughts or your 
your irks and annoyances with, but they're there to hang out with maybe at a poker game or something. So they're 95% of your friends on Facebook. Correct. Or you're just friends. Correct. Those people that maybe you haven't hidden yet. Right. (laughs) Uh, And grief also characterizes male friendships as having less physical contact, less verbal communication, and more light competition as a way to foster interaction. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, leveraging activities and, well, really just golfing (laughs) to to share. But a lot of times what you share is going to be more external information, such as your taste in, say, explosives or superpowers or Mm -hmm. music. I mean, I'm not trying to make light of... Uh, male-to-male conversation. But I'm serious. That superpower <laughs> conversation has come up a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I agree with you. I've heard that conversation. But, uh, yeah, grief, there there are a lot of other researchers out there. And one one interview that I really enjoyed reading was with uh, Dr. Niobe Way. She's a New York University professor who's focused a lot on um, boys' friendships. And she got the idea to, to focus on this in her life, um, by watching her younger brother's heartache when his best friend from across the street ended their relationship. And that's when it occurred to her that, wow, you know, boys just don't have an outlet. They don't know where to go and how to handle this when something like this happens. Whereas, you know, if little girls have a falling out or, or young young women, they usually have a really strong kind of wide social network to turn mm-hmm. to. Um, but her brother didn't, and he st- she says to this day he still doesn't like to talk about it. Well, and through the research that she did for her book, Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships, and the Crisis of Connection, she writes, eventually a boy has to choose between a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Now, obviously, she's talking about straight boys, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can understand that, that divergence between moving from platonic into the romantic realm, and it does eat up a lot of your attention, and that's why a lot of times with these adult male friendships, a lot of the interaction is focused on more superficial kind of stuff mm-hmm. because they take the emotional conversations to their mate. Yeah, which is the opposite of what we read about a lot of female friendships and what we, a lot of us, know firsthand to be true, which is that women tend to not turn to their husbands in, in terms of needing support, wanting to vent, although, you know, I'm sure women vent to their husbands. I'm not saying you don't. But women have, you know, like I said, broader social networks to turn to. They don't want to have their spouse be their sole outlet for everything in life. But men tend to reserve their friendships for we're going to have a good time. We're going to go out and play golf. We're going to hang out. I'm not going to tell him everything I'm worried about at work or mm-hmm. things going on with my children necessarily. Yeah, it seems like more of a priority, and we talked about that a lot on the podcast, possibly undergirded by evolution, a priority to for women to have that and maintain a very active social network mm-hmm. outside of the mate, just in case he decides to get up and leave. <laughs> we, we are ready for the other shoe to drop at any time. That's so optimistic. Thank you, evolution. <laughs> Um, but in writing for Psychology Today, uh, Grief, who is the one who wrote Buddy System, Understanding Male Friendships, he sees bromances as a way to refer to new relationships. He says, guys, meet each other and get into doing things together, and they're usually excited about finding someone who likes to do the same things as them. Old friends often don't have that same feel. The old friend is the stable friend, the go-to guy. Would he be a must? Or yeah, a I rust. guess the old friend would either be a must or a rust. I guess the bromance would be a 
just that <laughs> is going to become a trust? And the new friend has a fresher, more exciting feel to him. Here's the thing, though. This does not sound all that different from the process of making new lady friends. No. You know, new girls are exciting. But there are. You remember the last podcast I said Google female friendships, and you will be shocked at how many like dating-esque websites there are on how to make female friends, then it's definitely not the same for men. You Google men friendships or male friendships, and it's like, oh. It's it's a lot of scholarship and articles and all sorts of stuff about how awesome men are and their friendships are just so precious. But were were there all of those kind of friend finders that it seemed like men were as actively looking for friends? Yeah, that could be totally, yeah, that could sum it up. Maybe men just aren't. Like, oh my gosh, I have to get on the, on the internet and find friends. Well, because maybe that relates back to that sort of socialized fear of intimacy, or at least of not wanting to seem like you are seeking out intimacy because it could be perceived as feminine and needy. Exactly. Um, not to conflate those two terms. No, of course not. Yeah, so as far as... Um, maybe appearing feminine by seeking out these relationships. Uh, A study by Jonathan Bowman at the University of San Diego examined research that shows men are unlikely to discuss personal topics with male friends. We've covered that. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. We understand that. But he says that research has shown that people act according to their cognitive generalizations of self. In other words, people with a masculine self schema, if you consider yourself to be a very masculine person, Kristen is pointing to herself, um, are able to enact stereotypically masculine information and behaviors more quickly than those with a feminine self-schema. So whereas I have a feminine self-schema, so I might go on the Internet and look for friends, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Um, You sissy. (laughs) You sissy. Um, People with a more masculine self-schema are like, I don't need that. I have friends, I have buddies that I talk to once a year or go golfing with on one Sunday a month. I'm fine. So it could be not that they're trying to necessarily even avoid looking feminine, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're just like, well, that's not what guys do. I don't feel the need to do it. Or in the words of one guy briefly dated, Kristen, I have enough friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that. Uh (laughs) But here's the thing, though, about these uh, these self schemas that the study also found is that we're not necessarily standing on either side of the spectrum. I'm not holding down on the masculine self schema <laughs> camp with not a trace of femininity in uh-huh. me. Uh, he, what the researcher did was use the BEM sex role inventory, which uh, is a nice way of showing how your different personality traits can intersect to reflect both masculinity and femininity, thus creating a, a lovely spectrum. And his research found that there were enough androgynous traits that men and women share that actually provides or fosters at least interpersonal disclosure, even in male friendships, possibly making this whole stereotype that men aren't sharing a little bit uh, inaccurate. Yeah, could be. Uh, Not necessarily to say that there is as much self-disclosure as there would be with female relationships, but let's not discount the fact that surely it does happen. Yeah. 
And the ways that men interact certainly evolve, particularly as they get older. Um, going back to talking about Niobe Way, the uh, the New York University professor, she she talked to a lot of boys, and over time, as they got older, she realized that the intensity of their friendships began to fade because they feared being seen as too girly or gay for expressing attachments to one another, and that is not really what researchers have found in the UK at all. It's actually the opposite of what uh, one study found. And that was uh, by American sociologist Eric Anderson, who says that it's normal in the UK for young straight boys to sleep in the same bed frequently and to cuddle. And he found that 90% of heterosexual undergraduate men in the UK that he talked to had kissed a straight male friend on the lips at least once, compared with only 7% of male US undergrads he talked to. Yeah, um, his studies at least have found that American uh, frat boys have revealed themselves to be increasingly comfortable with same-sex physical and emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. which is in contrast to a book called Guyland, which some of you out there might have read by Michael Kimmel, that really looks at that whole um, sort of white, upper-middle-class male young adult culture and is terrified by it because it just constantly reinforces negative masculinity traits. Um, but he says that the sociologist, Eric Anderson, also says that he's found that the U.S. consistently ranks 25 percentage points higher on homophobia compared to the U.K. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's might be it might be getting better. Yeah, I think so, too. I think uh, there was uh, a lot of stuff I read that showed that younger the younger generation uh, particularly teens, young teens in high school or whatever, are definitely more comfortable with their gay peers and are not so scared about expressing um, affection for their friends because uh, you know, they're just more comfortable with themselves. Well, and I would say, too, that the whole bromance meme yeah. has probably helped things. Yeah, it like has... it's okay to say I love you, man. Right. It's, it's fine to have a, a super close buddy. Mm-hmm. And I will say that with all of this research we've been calling out, there was one big gap, and it's a gap that comes up so often in a lot of our research, is that I didn't find many studies on um, homosexual male friendships yeah. and how that might interact exactly. with things. Um, so that would be something to go back and take a closer look at, especially when we're talking about those cognitive schemas. Yeah. And see what the friendships not only between two gay men, but maybe a gay man and a straight man. Exactly. There was yeah, there was nothing really that I found. Mm-hmm. Well so what do you think guys? Do you have do you have a best buddy? Do you confide in your must friend but just play poker with your just friend? Do you have a female confidant that you take your real deep bleeding heart feelings too. Yeah. How do you work things out? Because this is one of those instances where we, Caroline and I, obviously have no first person experience. So we're relying on you fellas to let us know. Mm-hmm. Is this a bunch of stereotype about bromance? Or is it true? Are are you is the side by side versus face to face fact? Let us know. Mom stuff at discovery.com is our email address. And we've got a couple letters there. From there to share. Okay, this is in response to our episode on Martha Stewart, and she wrote to offer some praise for Martha. I 
think Martha has gotten a lot of flack for being too perfect, and to some extent they're right. Martha represents the highest standard of domesticity, but I see her as someone to set an example, not necessarily a standard I need to reach. As for being a feminist, when you mention the fact that Martha is divorced and not doing these domestic activities for a man, it really struck a chord with me that I couldn't put my finger on before. I grew up in a home that shirked traditional gender roles, so I never really experienced the whole clean the house and pearls and have dinner ready when the hubby gets home thing. However, my father took extreme pride in keeping our house clean, making sure everything was in working order, and cooking. He pointed out that a lot of men disparage these activities as women's work, but most of them have no clue how to cook a decent meal or properly clean a house top to bottom. To me, it's about being the best you can be. It has nothing to do with being subservient or feminine. Some people may say these activities are too traditionally feminine and even go against feminism, but I think that logic in itself is anti-feminist. By shaming women for enjoying domestic activities like cooking, housekeeping, and crafting, we're telling them that these feminine activities are not good enough. As you said, feminism is about choices, and I don't feel like my hobbies make me any less of a feminist. I see Martha more as a woman who refused to be told her passions weren't good enough and pursued them to great success other than being a golden age housewife. Very true. This is from Kristen in response to our Men and Women Exercise podcast. She says, I was at the gym. I just had to write in because I'm one of those women working my tail off every day, literally, and can't lose the weight. I had a baby one year ago, but I have not been able to lose a single pound. I have checked with my doctor, and while I have a very low metabolism, it's still normal. I eat healthy. I am at the gym two hours a day, six days a week. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, but those stubborn pounds will not come off. I wonder if you have another podcast about the women ways to lose weight. If not, maybe soon in the future. Perhaps. Perhaps. But just don't carbo load. That's what I got to tell you. Exactly. Uh, so again, if you've got an email you'd like to send our way, momstuff at discovery.com is the address to send them to. Or you can leave us a note over on Facebook or send us a very short note on Twitter <laughs> at momstuffpodcast. And, of course, you can always check out the blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?